All right, so welcome everybody. This is Creative On Purpose Live, a show about flying higher and endeavors that make a difference. Step into possibility with integrity and intention. It's time to be creative on purpose. Are you ready? Let's go. This season features the Ruckus Makers Roundtables, conversations about questions that matter with friends and fellow travelers from Forward Link, an alumni community for Seth Godin's Alt-MBA and Akimbo Workshops. I'm your host, Scott Perry, Chief Difference Maker at Creative On Purpose and author of Endeavor. I'm an Alt-MBA 6 grad and head, uh, on the head coach team for Akimbo Workshops. You can learn more about me and my work at creativeonpurpose.com. Today, I am joined by Arai Till and Ian Scott to explore how do you work with your imposter? So Arai and uh, Ian, go ahead and introduce yourselves. Please tell everybody who you are, which programs you've been a student in, what you're up to these days, and where people can connect with you to learn more. All right, so we drew straws, so I will lead off. Uh, I'm Ian Scott. I live in Seattle, Washington. Uh, I was a student in Altamia 2, uh, which is over three years ago. And since then, I've had the great pleasure of coaching. Uh, I'm coaching right now, and this will be my 10th time. Seven uh, of as head coach, so um, in love with that community. Uh, let's see, my where I spend most of my time, I work with William Murray, who's an author of, of Getting to Yes and Getting Past No and a couple other books. Uh, he's the co-founder of Harvard's program on negotiation, and I work with William and his team to essentially codify his negotiation methodology and teach teams around the world how to make peace possible. So that's primarily what I do. The other thing that I am excited to share is I just uh, launched a new company uh, in December called Compound Coaching, and essentially we have a two-on-one approach. Um, and, um, that's with me and six other coaches. And essentially, um, we use sort of a design thinking approach where we have multiple perspectives weighing in on one, um, coachee. So really excited about that. You can find out more at compoundcoaching.com and join our great list, which is what we kind of refer to as, you know, uh, the, the place where you can sign up for, um, early access to sessions as they become available. So that's me over to you. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Hard one to follow. I'm, I, I am joining from Saratoga Springs, New York, where we currently have about mm, three inches of snow on the ground. So winter is back. I am an alumni of All-MBA 27, so about a year ago, um, I joined the community. Uh, in terms of Akimbo workshops, I have done the marketing seminar, and I have done the story skills workshop with Bernadette. And I work as a coach for the All-MBA as well as some of the other Kimball workshops, specifically the freelancers workshop. And my day-to-day, I am a creative storyteller, uh, incredibly curious about people's stories um, and how do we further showcase that story and who they are. And you can just uh, find me on LinkedIn. I'm very sort of limited to where I am at. So, but LinkedIn is the best place to find me at. Well, we are very grateful that you are both here today making a sneak appearance on Facebook. We won't tell anybody. Um, And we are here to discuss questions that matter. And one of the questions that matters a great deal to our friends and fellow travelers in uh, the Seth Godin world is this idea of how do we handle and how do we deal and work with our imposter. But for those that are not in on the joke already. I'm going to, since this was your idea, I'm going to let you go ahead and tee up exactly what do we mean by the imposter? Oh, I should have known that was coming. Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> that's what I get for opening my mouth. No, so um, the ambassador. Uh, there are so many ways to describe it, and there's so many different versions of what the ambassador is. It's your ego, it's your friend, it's your enemy, it's the voice, the little chip on your shoulder, shoulder or the voice in your head. Um, it's, you know, some refer to it as the crow. Um, at the end of the day, the imposter is, to an extent, at least for me, it's my gut feeling. Um, and it's my self-preservation and my fight or flight um, pilot. So that's a, my way of describing the imposter. I don't know if Ian will agree or disagree with on, on that, but. <laughs> yeah, so I think that it's, it's um, yeah, I think you described it really well. I think I've also heard to it uh, referred to as the itty bitty committee. <laughs> it's, you know, for me, at least I have many voices up there. It's not only kind of one other imposter. There's a whole kind of peanut gallery, but, um, but yeah, you did a great job. Yeah. So, I mean, we, often talk about the imposter in the workshops and uh, in the community. And so Seth has famously talked about the lizard brain, which is the amygdala, the flight or flight impulse that uh, I um, spoke to. And the imposter is certainly related to that. I, I think of the imposter as the constant fear or the constant um, voice of fear, resistance, doubt, anxiety, that is always chirping away in the background whenever we're actually starting to think about doing something that actually might matter to us. Um, and so we have all, I'm sure anybody tuning in can, can resonate with this idea that there is this voice inside our head that is often helping us get in our own way in the progress that we seek to make. And so the dirty little secret as I know it, and I would love your opinion on this Ian and I is the, the, the dirty little secret is we can't kill the imposter. We can't vanquish it. We can't conquer it. We can't lock it away and, and bury it somewhere and so that we never hear from it again. And this is um, where the, the, the idea of dancing with the imposter comes from. What's your sense of, of that? Yeah, I think, I think part one is just kind of recognizing that there's no one in here talking to you but you. You know, I think a lot of times it's it's helpful to kind of um, personify it and say, okay, it's an imposter, it's an other, but really, really it's it's a part of me. And so I think for me, the first step is really trying to figure out how do I integrate that? You know, like a lot of times uh, people ask, you know, what is your imposter saying to you right now? Mm -hmm. And then what do you say back? And oftentimes my, my kind of retort is, yeah, rents do because I live with my imposter and this is kind of the state of things. So I think I think for me, it's it's about trying to figure out how can I listen to that voice and understand that it's it's a part of me that's trying to protect me. And all those voices, too, all the voices that arise are trying to protect me. And how can I listen to it, see it and, and hear it for what it is, accept that, and then be able to move through that, through that resistance and kind of keep going. So, Yeah, I, and I think to an extent, and at least from my personal experience, all the imposter wants is just to be seen and heard. It wants to be acknowledged. It wants to feel like they're part of the decision-making and conversation. And at times, what if you don't give your imposter or the voice in your head the time and space it needs and acknowledge it, then it's going to keep pushing back in a negative way. So become friends with your imposter. Like I, I, 
my pastor and I have lots of conversations on a daily basis, <laughs> like legit have conversations. I may or may not have given my pastor a name. Um, that name may change on a daily basis also. Um, and much to what Ian was saying about rents due, it's, um, you know, rents due. And then what are you contributing to our ecosystem? That's a question that I often ask. Yeah, I, I, um, I love what you were both saying. The, the, the thing that's so interesting to me is when we use these words like the resistance from Stephen Pressfield or the lizard brain from Seth Godin or the imposter, imposter syndrome, we're always projecting that this thing exists outside of us. And that's not true. They all reside in here. And so to Arai's point, therefore, you know, you have to decide um, what kind of relationship you're going to have. And the idea that um, you can ignore or push this down. I mean, we all know what happens if you're pushing down unhealthy emotions or unhealthy impulses. They just fester and manifest even stronger and more destructive, destructively in other ways. So I love what both of you are saying about the importance of, number one, accepting that this is true. We have this voice that we have to contend with. And then acknowledging that fact, because now we know what's real. And now we can decide what to do next. So let's just go ahead and move into, into that part of it, which is, okay, we've, we're, we're taking the healthier approach of acknowledging that the imposter is there coming along for the ride, wherever we decide to do, how do we then, um, what is the relationship that we can cultivate with the, the imposter so it doesn't make us get in our own way and we don't allow it to keep, hold us back and keep us from doing what needs to be done? I think part of it is asking yourself the question of what's the question behind the question or mm. what's the fear or the feeling behind the imposter or whatever you want to call it, making you feel a certain way. Um, you know, as coaches, uh, Ian can speak to this also, and so can you, Scott. Like one of the questions, like when a, someone, a coachee is coming to, or someone's coming to us and, you know, has a question, a way we always, I tend to reframe it as like, what's the question behind the question? Like, is this just sort of like my invitation to ask further? Um, so I think that's part of it is like understanding that and in a way sort of, having that conversation back and forth and like that coaching back and forth, because just as much as it's me, it can be me versus the imposter. It's also about me walking alongside my imposter. What are, what is she trying to tell me? Mm -hmm. um, because even though there's always this sort of negative connotation to the imposter and the lizard brain and resistance, it's there for a reason. It's self-preservation, it's, um, it's safety to an extent, it's, um, it's letting you know that you're heading to an unknown or letting you know that, remember last time something like this happened, what was the expectation or what, what was the outcome of that? Like, how can you make sure we don't have the same outcome? Um, so I think it's about walking alongside it instead of standing up against it. Mm. I just want to quickly note before we go to Ian that for the first time ever, I've heard somebody articulate the imposter could be female. And I'm just saying, I'm just saying, <laughs> go ahead, Ian. Absolutely. All right. You, you, you just like triggered a thought in my mind, which was um, 
you know, we, I think maybe we've all heard this metaphor of the two wolves that are inside of us kind of fighting the good wolf, bad wolf. And the one that wins is the one you feed. And what's interesting about that is I, I, even just yesterday, I read that there's a, there's more to that story, or there's one interpretation of that story that goes further than that, which is just feeding the good wolf. In fact, it says feed both of them Mm -hmm. because otherwise the bad wolf will lash out, right? It'll wait till you're weak and vulnerable and really lash out. So I love this idea of integrating the imposter, integrating that part of you so that, you know, it's not something you're trying to bury. And I think, I think what happened, the reason why I do this at least, right, is I try to blame the imposter. I, essentially, I try to say, oh, it's the imposter getting my way. And that's why I'm not able to do this. The imposter is not allowing me to, right? And we all know the work of Brene Brown and how, you know, blame is just that discharge of, of discomfort. And I think, you know, the reason why we do it is because we're trying to have some semblance of control. Um, and, and in that moment, you know, it's like, what if we use that energy and kind of reframe that? You know, a lot of people um, will reference how, you know, they're nervous before giving a talk or nervous before they get on a Zoom call and it's streamed to Facebook, right? And so you can you can tell yourself this story that I'm nervous and I'm anxious, but the body reacts the same way to excitement. So how can I reframe that and say, no, I'm excited to do this? And how can I use that energy towards my endeavor? I'll choose that word, you know, specifically, but how can I, how can I really recontextualize that and move it forward? And I think one other piece too is realizing that it's not it's not my fault that the imposter is there essentially. Right. So, so in blaming the imposter, I'm really blaming myself, but I don't need to blame myself because it's not in my mind. It's in the mind. Like all of our minds work this way. We all have this fear and this doubt when we run up against something new because our ancestors are the ones who survived and didn't get eaten by the tiger that was hiding in the bush. Like their imagination had them run away and that's kind of got us to this point. So it's kind of built into us that we're cautious. So it's just how do we recognize that, accept that, and then use that as just one data point and then kind of move from there. Wow. So there are like a bazillion threads. And then I have a whole new, new direction that we could go here. But <laughs> just, to, just to try to weave a bunch of threads together and pull at them all at once. Um, something that I wrote down as you were speaking Ian, is it's, it's not my fault, but it is my responsibility. And that's, I oftentimes I see the imposter as being an agency thief. The imposter is giving you an out and it's giving you permission to take yourself off the hook, to not do what you sh- know you should do and to not, um, be accountable to the people that you need to be accountable um, because with, and, and it's seductive because the imposter is telling you, be safe. Everything is okay. The way it is, you're okay. Everything's okay. Just leave it alone. And then, um, and it's just seductive. It's too easy to say, you're right. I'm going to go back to, I'm going to read another book, take another course uh, and have another discussion about this thing that I want to do. And I'll, I'll do something later. So, um, that was one thing that, um, that came to mind. The other is in thinking about this idea that we're dealing with primordial evolutionary stuff, like the 
the voice of fear and doubt, resistance, imposter, whatever, is the amygdala talking to us before the frontal cortex and the thinking part of our brain can do anything about it. And so how do we, how do we, what strategies do you all use to interrupt that fight or flight impulse? Because that is strong and that is evolutionary ingrained and very difficult to um, hit the pause button on, but it's the only hitting the pause button. is the only way that we can bring our rational minds in to take a more reasoned and perhaps healthier look at what's going on. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. I'll, I'll dive in. I just have one small thought. Um, and then maybe I'll, maybe I'll circle back and I'll have more of an insight, but essentially I think the kind of rule of thumb I have or kind of the switch that I use is, is to, to your point, it's very seductive. So sometimes it gives you an out and that kind of makes me pessimistic, right? Mm-hmm. But I think I can't be pessimistic if it, if it leads me to quit. Mm-hmm. And the flip side is it can also be seductive in that it says, it's okay, you're safe, do the safe thing. And I would say that's kind of like optimistic. But the thing is, I don't want to be optimistic if it makes me lazy. Mm. So for me, like those are the guardrails. It's like I can be as pessimistic as pessimistic as I want, you know, towards realistic, right? As long as I don't quit and as optimistic as I want, as long as it doesn't make me lazy. And so I try to stay in that lane and just know the imposter is like on that journey, like just part of that ride. And I just try to not let it get me off course too far, right? In one of those directions. All right, what you got? Talking about that journey and on that ride, um, I think to an extent, I am going back to feeding the wolf and the good wolf and bad wolf. I, I personally have enough self-awareness on, in myself to know that, you know what? Let's, let's go down. I'm going to go down the road with the imposter. I'm going to go down the road. He wants me to take, or she wants me to take the shortcut. I'm going to go take the shortcut. But I know that eventually other parts of my brain, other, my passion, my organizational skills, my love for what I do will then sort of shine the light back to the main road. So I think in the same way that there's the imposter who's there to sort of come you off, you know, sort of take you off path or, show you a shortcut there. I have enough trust in myself to know that there are other parts of me that will shine the spotlight back to the main road and getting back to that. So, um, you know, there are times, and I mean, there are times where I totally give in to my imposter and like, okay, fine, you win. And that's that. And then there's a learn a lesson from that. I think a big part of it is also being able to have a conversation with the imposter at the end of a good outcome or a bad outcome and saying, what did we learn from this? And what were the, what was that gut feeling? And were you correct in that gut feeling? And how are we not going to make sure, not let that happen again next time? I really love that insight. What, what just came up for me is, so we talked about like accepting that the imposter is a true thing that exists within all of us and then acknowledging our individual imposter so that we can now deal with the situation. Um, I, I think those two steps are really profound because once you see something that you hadn't seen, you can't unsee it. So now, so there are Obviously, we know lots of people that just go through their entire lives, never even at the acceptance and acknowledgement 
stage. So they are content to just, you know, lead the life that they're leading and everything is okay and and not having that aspirational uh, and striving quality. And that's not a judgment. That's just, that's okay. That's the way we're programmed. We're programmed to love the status quo. We'd like to know where we stand and we'd like to know what's expected. And as long as we can do that, we're good. But then once you kind of get to this point where you've acknowledged that the imposter exists and that you um, accepted it and acknowledged it, then then the challenge is how do you how do you engage uh, you know and for me the 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 trick that has worked is to say thank you like totally get it thank you for raising your hand and getting in my ear i now know that what i'm about to do is important doesn't mean it's what I need to do, but now I know it's important because you don't show up unless it's time for Scott to go back to his hole <laughs> and hide. So thank you for that. And now that's my pause. And then I'm able to decide what I'm going to do next. And to Arai's point, sometimes the answer is still going to be nothing. And the important thing for me in those moments is Nobody is nobody wins against the imposter every single time. There are there are no batting a thousand against the imposter. And so then you have to decide what you're going to do with that, because that's an invitation to shame that you don't have to necessarily accept. You have to decide, you know, how you're going to uh, you know, how you're going to accept what happened and how you're going to plan better for, for, for the next time. And so uh, I have a, I have a little detour I want to take us on, but before we do that, let's just, I would love to just um, wrap up this point, which is, it seems like we've gotten from accepting, acknowledging, and then deciding what the relationship is going to be or, or how we're going to leverage the imposter. Um, any final thoughts on, on kind of that, that point? There's nothing, there's no one or nothing that says that you can't take the negative outcome or the outcome and use that as a way to lean in and be like, hey, guess what, imposter? We're going to try that again. It's not a, like a once and done deal. So that was sort I of be my little wrap up on that. Go ahead, Ian. I think for me, just building on this, um, I have two thoughts, which is, I think at this stage, it's about it's integrating it, right? And like you said, leverage it. And I think it's getting used to the imposter and saying, this is showing up again. You know, we've been here before. And I think using that as a signal of you're on the right path, you know, you're doing something worth it. And that's important. And uh, I just try to remind myself that that's part of the package. You know, there's no courage without that fear. And so that's going to be one of the things you carry with you. And, and that's part of the process. Like, that's the thing. Um, it's it's part of it, and and it's not it's not wrong. It's different. Hmm. When you were speaking, I reminded me of something um, that I wrote a long time ago when I was just starting, just after Alt MBA six, when I was trying to figure out what I was going to do, <laughs> what I was going to do next, because I just knew that I didn't want to do what I've been doing, and um, I, I came up with this metaphor of sweeping the floor. Like to your point. It's not one and done. You don't battle the imposter once and then done. I'm the winner. He's 
he or she <laughs> will show up again and again and again every day, maybe, you know, every hour. Uh, in my case, almost every moment. Um, so a new opportunity. I, I just finished reading uh, not too long ago, Jared Colonna's book, uh, Reboot. And he talks about this idea of every day is a do-over. And I think of it as every moment, like every time I change gears and I'm in a new situation, new conversation, new moment, that's my chance. I can start now. doesn't really matter what happened in the past. I have a chance to start now. And I love that. So one last thought on all this to, to hear from both of you on, because what I'm hearing us talk about now is developing habits for action. And what we know is that beliefs and mindset don't change by reading books and having conversations and taking classes. Beliefs and mindset change by doing things and doing things, doing things a different way happen when we cultivate new habits, healthier habits, habits that are promoting our, not only our health, but our happiness. So any, any insights on what you do to cultivate that habit to accept, acknowledge, thank, or however you're going to, to engage, but then to actually um, use that as the, the, the starting point for doing something. Yeah, I have a few. I, I can't remember that much. So I have to have really punchy, small little mantras or kind of touchstones that, that when I get in this mode and those blinders are on and it gets myopic, like that I can just kind of pull out of my toolkit. So um, some of them you've already mentioned, um, this idea of thinking the imposter, I think is one. Um, Bob Boniel, uh, one of the coaches I work with, he, he says, you know, please come in, have a seat, have a seat, sit down. Thank you for being here. Sit down because I'm about to do something that's going to like scare your socks off. Right. Like that's his kind of like metaphor. And Bob also shared with me this idea of like the bug journal. He sort of takes a step back and looks at himself as if he's a bug and he's studying himself. He goes, well, oh, that's interesting. When Bob does this and we kind of poke him with a stick, he gets scared. What is that? You know, that curiosity. Uh, Jenna Watson Brown is another amazing coach who, who taught me this idea of asking or just kind of in that moment saying, how interesting. Huh, how interesting, you know. Um, and I would say then once I kind of kind of take that step back, as William would call it, like go to the balcony. Um, from there, I think there's two things. One is what is that? What is the adjacent possible? Sometimes what we say, you know, I can think step in 360 directions, but which, which degree am I going to choose? You know, what is that very next thing? Um, Connor McCarthy calls it the, the minimum viable next step. Right. And so for me, uh, it's asking myself that question. So I try to like really scope it down when I'm clear what it's for. I kind of scope it down to what's next. And then I try to act with, um, humble audacity, which is essentially like, have the courage to do something that's meaningful and bold and kind of push through that resistance, but also do it with humility, knowing that I don't know it. I don't, I don't know how to do this. I've never done this before. I need to ask for help. And, and that kind of puts me in a, a state of mind that allows me to be comfortable with ambiguity, more, more comfortable. <laughs> I, the thing is you can't really be comfortable with it. And that's kind of the point, but I'm, I'm open to that feeling of, I don't know the, answer. And I might not even know if I'm asking the right question at that moment. And so for me, yeah, those are kind of my touchstones. Love it. I love that bug, uh, bug journal from Bob. Um, I view it as almost like 
I do something similar. It's sort of like almost out of body experience. Like I sort of like sort of come out of body and look down. I'm like, oh, hey, so you two are having a conversation. Ooh, there's two. There's always multiple sides to a story. There's this side and that side, and then there's the truth. And so um, that's part of it. But I think also understanding why the gut feeling and the imposter is feeling the way that she's feeling and acting the way that she's acting. Is it because, because to an extent it's like the deepest subconscious, like deepest level of your mind, of my own personal mind. So it's trying to teach, she's trying to teach me something or she's trying to let me in on something so subconscious that I'm not even aware of. So there's that sort of, okay, what, why, why are we, having this conversation like what about it is scaring you is it because you don't know what's going to happen is it because you're afraid that there's going to be failure down the road is it because of the unknown okay great so after you have after I have these conversations sort of get get an understanding of the why I'm like okay so how can I help you feel comfortable with it what can I do do I need to plan better do I need to do more research about this? Do I need to let in other people on this project? Or do I just need to just go with it and we'll figure out along the way? So the understanding, my personal understanding of my why, like why are, why am I feeling this way? Um, and then also having the conversations like, are you anxious or are you excited? Like Ian, you mentioned earlier, um, and it was another coach, uh, Lisa, who sort of brought this into my mind was the idea that, excitement and anxiousness both manifest physically the same exact way but psychologically polar opposites so having a conversation like are you really anxious or are you just excited but you don't want to let me know that you're excited yeah that's a ton of good stuff it reminds us a couple things so to ian's point about one of the things one of the the first things that i wrote post alt mba 6 that actually people read was something called isn't that interesting which was this exercise about hitting the pause button like to because it seems that the the the, the biggest ally of the imposter is certainty and overconfidence and so to cultivate that sense of curiosity and humility to frame things um, as a question, but also in the present moment is a way to contextualize, like now we can decide what's really going on here. So I, I love um, what you shared there from Bob and um, what you shared from um, Connor was interesting too, because Marie Schott, who is the provost of all the Akimbo workshops in the Alt-MBA, had a conversation with me where I pulled out this idea of the small spiral step. And that small steps is a great is a great tactic for continuing the um, forward motion. Like that's, if you really wanna break the back of, of resistance or the imposter, take a step because now you're in a new situation. Now the imposter needs to regroup and you have a chance to uh, you know, continue to leverage a little bit of momentum. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I, love, I love all that. So, um, I'll, and I'll just share one last tip, which is I my, I began framing uh, my decision making process just to Ian's point about short and succinct <laughs> uh, mantras. What's now? What's next? Like what's now? What's really going on here? What are my choices? And then what's next? I got to decide because there is no right answer. There is no best way. There is no perfect way. I c- I can choose to the best of my ability what looks like it's a good enough response for right now. I can make that decision, take that step. 
now I'm in a new situation and I can um, continue continue the forward progress. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit just because um, we're we're in a room with three coaches uh, in these workshops and uh, one of the so it took me well it's still a very much working process it's taken me a long time to deal with my own imposter uh, still still working on that um, but as coaches we get to deal with the voices of other people's imposters. And I would love to spend just a little bit of time picking your brain for my own benefit. Um, you know, how, 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 what, what are the, the approaches and the postures that you use to serve the people that we serve in these workshops to help, you know, when, when what you're doing is not really talking to the, the, the participant, but you're talking to their imposter. This is such a good question, uh, mainly because it's surprising to me. I've, you know, I have never thought about this before, though I've considered it in, through doing it. But I, I think for me, what came to mind first was I try to add myself to that committee, right? I try to I try to get on that board of directors that's steering the 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 kind of discussion, mm-hmm. and I, I try to play. Okay, if, if their imposters in there, I'm going to be the champion, right? I'm going to go in there and I'm going to ask the questions that are kind of the not the antithesis and not in um, in a defensive or even offensive, like attacking the imposter, but the kind of the other flip side of the coin. So for example, asking questions like, what if you are enough? You know, what if, what if this was easy? What if, you know, what if, what if you are capable of this, you know, and just kind of creating that space to add that to the conversation, to add that voice. Because I think to your point, if you can kind of just, just get through that, that, if that crack of light can just shine through, right, that that door can then be opened. And I think that's all I'm trying to do. That's all I'm trying to do is just crack the door and just give another perspective and another path forward, essentially. Oof, that's a hard one. Um, mainly because I hadn't thought of it. <laughs> I, haven't, <laughs> I haven't sat with that. Um, I think part of it is the posture in which we show up and then how we show up. Uh, with a curious mindset, um, modeling, you know, sort of how we do it for ourselves and also playing that devil's advocate a little bit to what you were saying, Ian, what's being the devil's advocate in the conversation. Oh, that's great that you're, you're feeling that way. And I see you and I've been there. What about blank or, Oh, that's interesting. Pause. And then using the silence intention also. Um, I think one can very easily want to jump in right away and like, give an answer, a solution, or even a question, but sometimes saying, huh, that's interesting. Hmm. Go ahead. It's got, I, I just have one bill on it too, which is, which is also what's interesting about that is we're, we're not truly in this alone. Like even if you're alone having these thoughts or they're kind of in your mind, the thing is like we're, we're social beings, right? So we're, we can, we can reach out and ask for help. But what's really interesting is, um, you know, I, there's also this, especially within the creative process, there's also, there's a lot of doubt that happens. It's, it's natural. We, we were talking about how we all kind of, uh, you know, suffer from this, I'll say in, in, in certain ways, but, um, you know, sometimes I think, I think we forget that it's okay not to ha- hear the imposter. 
right? Like there, there are going to be some days where you show up and like, the, you can't even hear the imposter. You've kind of turned that ego down. And, and, and on that day, um, we have to be careful of emotional contagion, you know, because I think a lot of times what happens is people try to share, you know, I'm, I'm hearing the imposter and we have to be careful not to kind of get a mesh and kind of dive in that hole with them, you know, try to create some distance to be able to throw a rope and actually kind of help them find a new way forward. And I think that as coaches, that's one of the things that I've learned kind of throughout this process. Coaching is, is to have empathy, but not to have to be there as well. You know, not to have to suffer the imposter, kind of draw out the imposter. Cause I think we kind of bait out the bad wolf sometimes as a way of catharsis and a way of connection with each other in this process. Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's, we have to be able as coaches to be able to hold both of like, I see you, I have been there before too. And in this moment, I can create some distance in order to, 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 I can stay on the balcony, right. And I can, I can look out, I can scout, you know, on our behalf. So um, I think that that is another important thing Uh, is not kind of um, also falling into that trap because we're all susceptible. We're all vulnerable to it. Yeah, so what I, what I was hearing from Arai was the importance of empathy, like being able to see, hear, and understand somebody's experience. And and uh, what I was hearing from your initial response, Ian, was this, the, the, the greater step, which is the, the, the step of compassion. Now I, I see, hear, and understand your situation, and now I'm going to do something to help you. Um, and I think that's a, a piece that we oftentimes gloss over. We're, you know, we're in the midst of this empathy renaissance where everybody is talking about re- empathy, but not all of us understand it. It took me a full year after TMS1 to really wrap my head around what empathy really means. And one of the great revelations was the thing that has helped me most as a coach, which is to understand that practicing empathy on other people is not going to work until I can practice those same impulses for myself. And until I can treat myself with kindness uh, and understanding, I, it's really difficult for me to authentically do that with others. And so as I think I see this in all the coaches that I've worked with is that they've done both types of work. They've done the self-empathy work and they are fully engaged with the idea of service and generosity when they're helping um, with others. And then they take that greater leap, which is, um, to actually do something to help the person that's right in front of them. The, uh, and what you were just saying, Ian, is so interesting to me, this idea of the echo chamber. Like we can, through commiserating, just help get everybody stuck. <laughs> Let's just all sit right here and kvetch about <laughs> this imposter thing that's getting in our way. Um, and that's the great um service that coaches provide. I, I think I, I think of all this as coming down to what, I, what I've come to call real love. And we're about to talk about real skills uh, in the Seth universe tomorrow in a, in a live workshop. And, um, and the, the real love thing is the, is what we often call tough love and tough love is the way it's often practiced is actually quite wrong. Tough love is I know what the right thing is for you to do. So I'm going to give you the tough love that makes you understand what I understand so that you can. And that's not tough love. That's hubris and ego. Real love is being able to sit with somebody without getting sucked into 
the echo chamber and then to you know continue to work at what needs to happen which is making some sort of step through that uh resistance through that um you know to interrupt that conversation with the imposter to actually make something else happen we are coming up at the end of our 45 minutes this went by really fast but i i want to give uh just if you have a, an essential takeaway from this conversation or a, a, an essential tip to leave our viewers with for continuing to step into possibility in their endeavor while the voice of the imposter comes along. It's okay. It's gonna be shitty, it's gonna be amazing, it's gonna be mind boggling it's going to change the world and then today and then tomorrow it's you do it all over again it's a work in progress like i can sit here and talk about the imposter all day long and give her a name and give her you know a favorite color and all of that but it's work and i think the more that we work on it and the more that we lean into the heart and the uncomfortableness of it with intentionality, the more that you're going to get out of it. Mm. Um, so it's just like everything else in life. It's a work in progress. And some days are better than others. Awesome. I'd say two, two phrases come to mind. One is around, honestly, around self-care and so this idea of self-love. So this idea of, you know, a camp with, or a light with, sorry, a lamp with little fuel gives little light. Right. So if you, if you think of yourself as trying to light the path, you really got to fill up that tank. And that starts with that self-love, that self-work. And another phrase I love is this idea of use the work to do the work. Mm. What that means is, you know, we think that the imposter is kind of in our way because we're trying to do something. Like I'm trying to make this thing in the world. Right. And this is just, you know, in the way and, the, you know, of the stoic tradition. Right. The obstacle is the way. Right. That which hinders your task is the task. So I think it's, it's the imposter is a gift, right? Because you can use the lowercase w work of your process and what you're creating in the world to do the real work, the capital W work, which is that, you know, building yourself into, you know, uh, a better being, not a doing, you're a being, right? Mm. So. Yeah, I love that. Uh, to which I'll just add, that's the gig. If you've decided that, you are on this path to, you know, make the world a better place by doing better work with and for the people that you care about. If you are involved in some sort of endeavor, it's, it, it's hard and challenging because that's what work that's worth it looks like. <laughs> that's the gig. So you can complain about it from time to time, but you can't complain about it all the time because that's what you signed up for. That's the gig. And the other thing that helps me is just to remind myself, this is the work I get to do. I don't have to do this. This is the work I get to do. And so, uh, you know, to do that with a little bit, uh, a little bit less anxiety and stress, a little bit more excitement and joy um, definitely helps power me through. Before we take off, Ian and I, I would love for you to just one more time, uh, let people know where they can connect with you both to learn more about the great work that you're doing and the difference that you're making in the world. Okay, I'll go first. Um, yeah, so uh, connect with me through the Altavia community, uh, forward link, wherever, wherever we're at there, uh, LinkedIn as well. And um, yeah, if you are interested in coaching, compoundcoaching.com, like a chemical compound or compounding interest. 
uh, compoundcoaching.com. You can find me there and learn more about what we do. Uh, for me, it's similar or about the same, except the compound coaching part of it. Um, so forward link in the Akimbo world and all of that. Um, and then LinkedIn. Um, and then sort of in the coming months, there'll be more within the LinkedIn world. See what I'm up to and how it impacts everyone. <laughs> Ian knows about it. so that And Scott, you know a little bit about it. So um, where it, it's a, a, a true testament to me tackling my imposters. So I'm um, doing the hard work for that. So, uh, so yeah, LinkedIn. Fantastic. Well, I'll put in a, a quick plug for creativeonpurpose.com, which is a community of about 600 that are leaning into these questions and trying to, and doing this kind of work. Those of you that are members of that community know that we've already featured in uh, Ian's project with Covington and many others, the compound coaching. So you can learn more about that. There's a blog post about that. Uh, and I do know a little bit about Ahai's project. It is really fascinating. So please connect with her on LinkedIn because when she lets the cat out of the bag, finally, it's going to be really big and we're really looking forward to it. So Ian, Ahai, so so grateful for this uh, conversation. We're, we're three for three for phenomenal conversations with the Ruckus Makers Roundtable. Looking forward to another one next week. And uh, we'll see you in forward link. Thank you so much. Thanks, Scott. Thank you.